welcome to Hoop Theory. My name is Logan Wortman, and this is the Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson, Chris Paul episode. I think they're kind of the definitive top three of number threes, unless I'm forgetting somebody. I guess there's Anthony Davis, but I don't really think of him as a number three yet. I still see him as a 23 in my head. I guess that one will just have to take some time to grow on me. I guess I can throw Bradley Beal in there as an honorable mention. But anyways, yeah, this is episode three, the Central Division episode. Um, I'm not sure what this episode title is going to be when you guys see it up on Spotify and YouTube and all other platforms or whatever. It's probably just going to be whatever topic I go off on as I'm going through these teams. But yeah, if you didn't see um, episode two, Moses Malone episode, you should go check it out. I kind of reveal what uh, Anthony, Jacob, and I picked as our over-under picks for win totals for this season for the Atlantic division, which is the Knicks, Nets, Raptors, Sixers, and Celtics. And then I kind of break down, I guess, how they've been doing so far and basically just make an update on how I feel about those teams and their over-under picks and stuff like that. Same formula for this episode, but we're doing the Central Division, which is the Bulls, Cavs, Pistons, Pacers, and Bucks. But yeah, so we'll be talking about all those teams after I show you the clip of what Jacob and Anthony and I recorded, which was filmed uh, just before the season started. Like I think it was recorded on Thursday and the season started that next Tuesday. But it's basically just to show what our initial thoughts were, how we were feeling about these teams before the season started. And then I'm going to kind of, I guess, break down what it's actually looked like so far. But before I get to that, I can't really resist talking about my team, the Nuggets, right now. Life is pain as a Nuggets fan, apparently. That's just how it always is the past like seven or eight months since whenever jamal murray tore his acl all we've had since then are injuries whether it be monte morris and will barton at the end of last year and i think pj dozier even went down after that because we didn't have any of those guys for the playoffs last year and now this year we knew we were going to be without jamal for the majority of the year until he comes back from his acl injury and um yeah right out of the gates this season mpj didn't look right not near as mobile much more stiff than he usually is um, and honestly, I haven't heard anybody say this, but I think this even started back at, in the playoffs at the end of that last series. He was really awful in that Sun series. And he was obviously dealing with some sort of injury. And I, you know, it looked to be some sort of back tightness, back pain type of thing. Was playing really stiff and also sat out, you know, closing the games and stuff like that because he just wasn't right. And now this year he did actually end up going out after he kind of tweaked his back going up for a wide open layup that he missed a couple weeks ago. And now within this last week, there was a report that came out that he is likely to have surgery to repair nerve damage on his back, which will likely be a season ending injury. You know, it really kind of speaks back to the reason he fell so far in the draft all the way to 14 for the Nuggets to get him instead of being picked in the top three, which is where he was he was projected to be originally before before all the medical stuff came out. And, you know, even before his season at Missouri, where he had lots of medical issues coming out of high school, he was the number one recruit in the nation. So it was a reasonable risk for the Nuggets to take him there at 14, take a flyer on a guy that, you know, he may have some injury concerns, but you just can't deny the talent. And yeah, for a while, it looked like it really was paying off. And it still, it still might, ha you know, I, I'm not saying anything like his career's over. Although there are a lot of people, at least Nuggets fans on, on Nuggets Reddit and stuff like that, all kind of speculating about that and all kind of being really pessimistic about, about that kind of thing. Yeah, so we're without Porter this, this season probably, and we've been without him for a while now, I guess. Then Jokic, the guy who never misses games, He's already missed um, four this year. One because of the suspension where he leveled Marcus Morris, but the past three that he sat out have been um, a wrist injury. 
So that's already more games than normal that he misses. I think the most recent season where he's missed more than one game was like three years ago. So that's not great. And then, you know, Zeke Naji, he missed a few there too. Bones Highland sat out last night against the Blazers. But now, PJ Dozier, who honestly might be the most underrated player on the Denver Nuggets. You know, he's just one of those guys who can defend one through four, even one through five in small lineups. Um, but especially, you know, one through three, he can defend really, really well. He really does have like that heat check, wild card type of edge to him as well. You know, decent playmaker, just hustles up and down the floor, rebounds really well, all those things. So he went out last night with a knee injury and report coming out today saying that it's most likely an ACL tear. So yeah, not good news that we're probably going to be missing Murray, Porter, and now Dozier for the entire season. So just kind of bummed as a Nuggets fan. Not really wanting to see another year, uh, you know, the second year in a row of a prime Jokic season. One of the seasons of, of Jokic's prime just kind of go to waste and go down the drain with just so many injuries to the roster. But yeah, I guess that's enough now for Nuggets sad boy hour. I'll let you guys get into the picks that Anthony and Jacob and I made a while back. Enjoy. Starting off with the Chicago Bulls. Their over-under line was 41 and a half wins. Yeah. All right, so then moving on to Chicago. This is going to be my third and final stay away. I'm using all of them up here at the top, but I think Chicago is very worthy of using a stay away on. They've got talent, that's for sure, but nobody mm-hmm. on their team plays defense other than Lonzo and Patrick Williams. And Patrick Williams is out for the first like couple months, I think. So yeah, I'm going to stay away with that one. And then uh, the tier, I'm going to put them in is the C tier. Uh, I'm using a stay away as well. I had the same exact thought as you and I feel like I we see a lot of these teams with the talent But they just don't play well together and they don't exceed expectations and It just doesn't work out well. So um taking the stay away and I'm also going D tier with them Yeah, I put them C over, you know, the Knicks just because I feel like their ceiling is much higher than the New York Knicks as far as like playoff aspirations, but they, I feel like there's so much variation in what they could be, so. Uh, I'm gonna go under on this one, uh, not using a stay away. There's just too many good teams in the East this year. Even the middle of the East is gonna be really like meat grindery type games where if you don't show up, you're gonna struggle. And a team that's focused around the mid range, honestly, which is weird to think that a team's building around that, but they've got DeMar DeRozan. Exactly, means not exactly mid range, but they've got a lot of guys that like live there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to do an under on that one. Um, I think it'll be close. I'm not like, going to lock it or anything, but I've got under, and I'm going to go C tier for the Bulls. Up next is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their over-under line was 27.5 wins. Sounds good. And so our next team is Cleveland. This is going to be my first lock. I'm going to lock the over on Cleveland. Um, I'm pretty confident in them reaching that uh, 28 wins just because I think Mobley is going to be the rookie of the year. I think right away or, you know, for the most of his career, I think he might be the the winner of this draft, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. I see a lot of potential with him as a very versatile defender and everything like that. And I think they just have a good roster kind of being built there, which is weird because last year we would have said the opposite, you know, past few years. So that's good for them. I'm going to use the lock on the over. Uh, I'm going to go actually... 
just regular under. I'm not going to lock or anything. I think this team will get not blown up in the middle of the year, but rookies have growing pains and they will be in a prime position to get another good potential draft pick. And I think that front office, who's notoriously not bought into always being a good team, will just kind of be like, okay, we'll ship out half a sex land and that's just what's going to kind of end up happening. So I have the under on this one. All right. Sounds good. And I put them in D tier along with the Knicks. And then I've got E for me. Same thing as the Raptors. I'm taking a slight over. I agree with you. They're a gritty team. They'll fight for the W, as I said earlier with the Raptors. Uh, Mobley was my favorite pick from the draft. And I thought he should have, he could have easily gone number one. He's just so talented and will do so much for that team. So I'm going to put them in E, but I think they'll, they'll win over 27 and a half games. The next team is the Detroit Pistons. Their over underline was 24 and a half wins. All right, sounds good. And then the next team, we got the Pistons. Uh, 24 and a half wins is their over under. I am taking the under on this one, and I'm going to put the Pistons as the first team in the F tier just because, you know, they have some players, but they're I don't think their goal right now is to win. And they're in a pretty tough, like, you know, they got a lot of competition. I'm Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna take the under on that one. I feel pretty good about it, but I'm not going to lock this one. I'm going to lock the under and put them in F. I just don't think it's a good team and yeah. won't win that many games in the NBA. They have young talent, but I don't think it will translate very, very well to, uh, you know, a gritty uh, NBA schedule. 82 games, you know, uh, it will be tough for them. Yeah, for sure. Jacob? I'm locked the under F. I have no faith in this team at all. The only reason Jeremy Grant looked good is because somebody had to touch the basketball. Um, and that's not going to be Jeremy Grant this year. It's going to be their number one overall pick. So, um, yeah, lock in the under, F tier. And that's going to be uh, my first lock of the day. And for the, all the reasons you guys said, that's why they're um, in the bottom. Next is the Indiana Pacers. Their over underline was 42 and a half wins. Yeah. Okay. So Indiana, let's start with somebody else on this one. Uh, Anthony, what, uh, what do you think of Indiana? It's a tough one. I think I'm going to use a stay away for this one. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just, I, I like their team. I like Brogdon a lot. I like their pieces. I like War- Warren's probably going to be healthy this year too, you know, but it's just a tough one because I'm not sure. Did they, did they fire their coach? Yeah. it's they, uh, Yeah. They yeah, have, uh, they Rick, have Carlisle. Rick Carlisle. Oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Now that I know that Carl, I was a coach. Yeah, that changes a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, I'm going to I'm going to go with the slight over. OK, I think coaching can change so much with the team. I'm going to go with uh, C tier. I like Carlisle a lot. That's fair. And I, um, I think he can take that team to another level yeah. as in above the D tier. So, yeah. So Anthony's first team in C tier is Pacers. Jacob, what do you think of the Pacers? I'm going to over and lock it down. Absolutely. Carlisle is going to do wonders for this team. And I just feel like they have a lot of pieces. Yeah, there's injuries kind of around the pieces. But I have a ton of faith um, in Carlisle to kind of get everything figured out. So lock the over. And I'm going to go with a... I'll go a C-tier team. Yeah, that's fair. And for me, I thought about using my lock on the over. But I'm just going to use normal over on this one. Um, I am pretty confident in it, though. I do think that Rick Carlisle is going to do a lot with that team. The only thing, the only question for me is why, you know, I didn't use my lock is just injuries. They struggled with so many injuries the past two seasons now. But so, yeah, I'm right on board with you guys as well. 
sticking them in the C tier. The final team in the Central Division is the reigning champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. Their over-under line was 54 and a half wins. So moving on to our next one, we got Milwaukee, the reigning champs. The Bucks, I do have the over, I believe. I don't think I have a lock on them. Nope, just normal over. I feel pretty good about it. You know, I don't see why they wouldn't hit 55 wins, to be honest. I just think that they're gonna come out and do it. So I'm just gonna use the over on it and I'm gonna put Bucks as my second team in the S tier. Same, over Bucks, S tier. Uh, Giannis is not the type of guy that's gonna let his coach, um, he's not gonna let him rest him. He's not gonna, he's not gonna sit out. He's gonna be a lot more like, I'm playing, sorry. And that's just gonna, Giannis just existing on the court will lead this team to 45 wins. So I feel like they'll be able to scrounge together. Just, it's 55, so yeah, I'm absolutely on the over and Milwaukee's an S tier team and I, they're not my favorite to re-return, but I feel like they definitely have a shot to uh, run it back again. Mm -hmm. I'm locking the over. I've doubted Giannis for a long time uh, and his ability to lead a team, but after last season, I'm locking it. And uh, second team in uh, S tier. Sounds good. Makes sense. I respect the, the lock there. It, they're definitely one of my candidates for that as well. All right, so those were our picks for the Central Division. Uh, and now, you know, just time for me to provide some more thoughts and an update on these teams so far in the season. So starting off with the Bulls, 12 and six. They were the best team in the NBA record-wise for a while there at the beginning. But yeah, they are definitely going to pass this over-under mark. If I had to change it, that's definitely what I would pick. But you know, I'm not really too upset about using the stay away for them because you know, hindsight is 2020. Looking at this team now, it's like how how could we not have thought that all these guys together that are just you know really good, competent basketball players, how that just wouldn't work, you know? But and that I don't know. That's kind of I feel like I could I should have listened to myself a little bit more. I was listening much more to I guess a lot of the doubters of the Chicago Bulls and the doubts made sense to me with their just so many holes on defense and stuff like that, which I still think is definitely probably going to be their biggest concern. But so far, they've been one of the best defenses in the league, which is weird. But I mean, Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball are just like at the point of attack. have been ridiculous switching across positions and just blowing everything up, blitzing screens and, and attacking passing lanes and stuff like that. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan have also both been, you know, good by their standards, at least on defense so far this year, really putting an effort in on that end. You know, I've always been in the camp of Vucevic isn't as bad of a defender as most people make him out to be. He lacks verticality, lacks rim protection, stuff like that. But he's a high basketball cue. He knows where to be. It's not like he's a defensive zero. But offensively, this team is just so fun to watch. Come like leading up to this episode, like trying to think about my Bulls thoughts over the past like week or so. Something I thought a lot about was just the similarities between this Chicago Bulls team and last year's Denver Nuggets after the trade deadline, right after we got Aaron Gordon. That five-man lineup that was very short-lived, you know, it, I think it was eight games and we were 8-0 in that stretch. But those five guys, of course, I'm talking about um, Jokic, Murray, Porter, Barton, and Gordon. And the reason they were just so devastating and I just loved them so much was because all five of those guys can get their own shot. All five of those guys are at least above average playmakers and passers. You know, Jokic, obviously, I think my opinion and a lot of people's opinions, the best playmaker, best passer in the NBA and amongst the greatest passers, playmakers of all time. Jamal Murray's past couple seasons have has been a really, really good playmaker, has a lot of synergy with Jokic. 
Porter's the one guy I would say is not a, an above average playmaker. So I guess I spoke too early. You know, he's still really young, getting better. Already at the beginning of the season, that was very clear. You know, I'm kind of infringing on the Nuggets time that is going to come up, you know, within the next few episodes. But Porter, at the beginning of this season, came right out of the gates. Way better playmaker than he had been in his rookie season in his second year. Will Barton can playmake. Um, run pick and roll stuff like that i'd say an above average playmaker for him as well and then aaron gordon playmaking is one of his his strengths on the offensive end that's probably his main strength on the offensive end honestly is his playmaking all those guys can get their own shot all those guys can shoot really aaron gordon's the only one that you could say isn't a very good three-point shooter but he can still make them you know it's not like he's a complete non-shooter and he can get hot too so when when it's when it's all clicking it's just it's beautiful to watch any team you're going against is going to have a defensive liability or two out there. Usually, you know, that's that's pretty safe bet to bet on that. There's going to be a weak spot defensively. And just having those five guys that you have to choose which guys to put uh, your best defenders on and which guys you're going to have to put your worst defenders on. Will Barton in so many of those eight games, that was like the perfect situation for Will Barton because he just got to attack mismatches. He got to attack like, you know, the weakest defender on the floor because a lot of times it was him that, that got the weakest defender and Will Barton can score, you know, it's just everybody else out there can also score. So it's just, it's like pick your poison for the opposite team. This Bulls team reminds me a lot of that. It's obviously a little bit different with uh, DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic are the three like shot creators on the team, the three guys that are going to score, but the other guys provide spot up capabilities, you know, like everybody on that court can shoot three you know even if DeRozan doesn't take them very often he can still make them at a respectable amount um, and if he doesn't you know he's going to he's going to get in the mid-range and get a really high percentage look for him so it's I, it's really just that like their offense is just firing on all cylinders because all those guys can pass I think that's really the, the main thing uh, in this in this Bulls and Nuggets comparison I think the Nuggets had better shot creation to be honest um, across all five positions I mean but this Bulls team has even better playmaking across all five positions because Lonzo Ball is an incredible playmaker. He's one of the best playmakers in the league that's not a star. I'd say Ricky Rubio is definitely also one of those guys. It's just funny because I, you know, he was a big topic last episode. But yeah, Lonzo Ball can playmake Alex Crusoe. He's played point guard his whole career and definitely isn't a score first point guard. So he can definitely playmake catch and shoot. Lonzo Ball is also a great catch and shoot player now. Turned himself into just like a laser beam three point shooter off the catch after struggling with the shot so much early in his career. Vucevic, one of the best playmakers out of the post in the NBA. He's kind of like a Jokic light, if that makes sense. DeRozan is an unbelievable playmaker. He turned himself into one of the best playmakers from the wing position during his time in San Antonio. And that leaves Zach Levine, who is a lethal bucket getter, who's played on some bad teams. So obviously he's used to picking apart double teams, at least. But last season, definitely we saw a lot of improvement in his playmaking ability. Lots of pick and pop with Vucevic. If Zach Levine is your worst playmaker, your worst passer on a five-man lineup, that is like kind of an unbelievable achievement because I would definitely call Zach Levine a good playmaker. I would say he is a, at least a pretty good playmaker. And that's even in terms of like comparing him to other guys who handle the ball all the time, you know, other guys that are ball dominant. It's not just like your average swingman or like, you know, catch and shoot three and D guy on your, on your team. So yeah, honestly, I think that's really the main thing with the Bulls and has been like the key to their success with these five guys. Like even though they lost Patrick Williams for I think the rest of the season, uh, this five man lineup is is just it's one of the best in the league it, it definitely is and also Ayo Desumu out of Illinois coming in as a rookie really good off the bench honestly Javante Green seems like they just kind of found some role players that didn't really have a spot before this 
obviously with Dasumu coming out of college and then uh, Javante Green barely played at all for the Celtics. You know, they got Derek Jones Jr. from Portland. I even realized they had Matt Thomas on this team too, Troy Brown Jr., uh, Tony Bradley, Alice Johnson, oh, and Tyler Cook too, who used to play for the Nuggets. But yeah, they've been good. Crusoe and Ball have been two of the biggest reasons why with their defense. Damar and Levine offensively just being able to close games and like score from the mid-range and also be like good enough playmakers to where it's not a black hole situation like we talked about with the Celtics in the last episode. They're just, they're good. They're a good team. I'm buying it, honestly. It's like at the beginning of the season in the first probably 10 games, I was thinking, you know, they'll probably cool off, which they have a little bit, but, you know, I was thinking it was more of a fluke type of thing. And once they get to the playoffs, you know, their defensive weaknesses are really going to show. But honestly, I think they might be stronger defensively than I thought uh, coming into this year. So especially if they get Patrick Williams back by playoff time. Yeah, they're going to be a tough out in this postseason. And Billy Donovan is just a really good coach. Just giving him a roster and lots of pieces to work with has been really fun to watch. Another thing that I feel like should be mentioned is Vucevic, Nikola Vucevic's uh, willingness to kind of buy into his pick and pop stretch five kind of role, which I know probably isn't easy after coming from, you know, being the guy in Orlando, being that number one scoring option. That shouldn't go unnoticed either. That's a big part of what's made this team work really well. You know, he's still getting lots of high post touches with a lot of dribble handoff scenarios and just playmaking out of the high post. But yeah, bulls are fun and I'm happy because Chicago's, you know, it's been a while since they've been good. So happy for the people who are fans of the bulls and also just happy to see the East be so interesting. But yeah, I should probably have mentioned that we as a group were really down on Chicago. I use my stay away. Jacob went under and Anthony used his stay away. But yeah, they're definitely going to get 42 wins. So yeah, moving on now to Cleveland. This was one of my locks. I think it was my first lock that I used. I locked the over on Cleveland. Jacob went under and Anthony went over. So I'm definitely still really happy with the lock that I used on the over uh, for Cleveland Cavaliers. Honestly, I just kind of want to take this episode to tell everybody how I was very early on the Cavs because, you know, really early on in the season, within the first 10 games, all over the podcast and stuff like that, all over the NBA, so many people were talking about how they were, you know, they were on the Cleveland bandwagon and how Cleveland is their, you know, league pass team this year and stuff like that. You know, just a lot of people saying it was unexpected for me. I'm proud to say I expected this. I saw this coming. I said it multiple times before the season. I think really only once on a podcast because I haven't recorded a lot of podcasts, you know, ever since last season ended basically. But I was really high on him. I love the fact that they got Ricky Rubio. He's just always been one of my guys because I feel like he's just very underrated. People really dismiss his impact. I've always also been one of the guys that um, has been more optimistic about the Sexton and Garland pairing. Sexland, if you will. Like, I believe Jacob and, you know, lots of other people have been very like, no, they got to pick one between Sexton and Garland. And there's been a lot of, I guess, especially from like Bill Simmons and people reporting stuff, um, Ryan Rosillo too, saying stuff about like what they've heard from around the Cavs team and everything that there's some dysfunction there between Garland and Sexton and stuff like that. But this year they've looked really good. Obviously the reason why uh, you think they're not great together is the defense part. Same reason why D Damon CJ has been a topic for forever of, you know, people always wanting to break them up because their skills overlap a lot and they're both just undersized guards that compound the defensive weakness on that end of the floor. You know, I guess just the way I've always felt about it, because I've heard the topic come up with like, you know, trying to build around those guys that you're not going to be able to make it far in the playoffs and stuff like that. You're going to have a similar result as Portland has. And I, I've always just kind of been of the opinion of like, if you're Cleveland right now, if you're Cleveland ever since LeBron left really for the second time, why would you be unhappy with a 
a future like akin to the Portland Trailblazers past decade. They made the Western Conference Finals. They've beat a lot of teams in the Western Conference in the playoffs. They've been in the playoffs every single year. Like I would worry about getting into the playoffs first before you worry about like how to get over the hump and make it, you know, win a, win a championship, basically. I'm not saying I, I expect Sexland to win a championship together, but I think they could be a really fun team and be a team that wins games. You know, even coming into it, I just knew it. I knew it with Mobley. I knew it with Allen. Lots of people were criticizing the, the Allen extension, which I'm not necessarily going to completely defend it because, it, I mean, it, it is a pretty beefy contract, but Jared Allen's really underrated. He is an amazing rim protector, one of the best rim protectors really in the league. He's like, he's like in that tier right below the best rim protectors in the league. And he might be getting there now because he's only 23. You know, he's still very, very young. I think he has climbed the ranks this season. He is amongst those guys. He, he is, he is the, on the same type of level as uh, the Clint Capellas, the Miles Turners, you know, to a much lesser extent, the Gobert's. But, you know, at least he's in the ballpark of those Capellas and, and Miles Turners, which are very, very elite rim protectors. Um, not necessarily Gobert, who is arguably the best rim protector in the history of the NBA. So it's kind of a tough one to, to compare to. But just his ability to protect the rim. And, you know, he's not, he's not terrible laterally and in space, defending in space. And then Mobley, my gosh, like I'm not a big college basketball guy, but just from the games that I had watched from USC and just going back through and watching a lot of like extended because, you know, I don't get people who watch just highlight clips of players in the draft and decide who they like in a draft just because like they're watching their highlight plays. You know, it's just so hard to compare. You, you can make a highlight compilation of like any player and make them look good or bad, you know, depending on which plays you choose. It's not a great barometer. Mobley, just watching him in stretches of games, just has like a maturity and an IQ of basketball that you can see play itself out in the game. To be honest, like my first thoughts on Mobley watching him at USC was like, he's just mature and he's unselfish. It's just kind of like, he reminds me of like the Steph Curry complex of like, he's a superstar player. I'm not saying that this is what Mobley is right now. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but with Steph though, he's like a superstar player that has the attitude and like the, I don't know, the same quality to him as, as a role player. Like the way he views himself and plays alongside other players is he treats the game like he is just a role player. It's so cool to see sometimes with certain players. And I just think Mobley is one of those guys. He's like, he just, he just seems like a guy that's going to play any role you want him to on a team. He can defend across positions with ease already. Like I thought me being probably amongst the biggest Mobley guys coming into this draft and coming into this season, I was even surprised with just how how good he looked defensively already. You know, I was expecting the full, you know, really nice flashes of playmaking and good flashes of like a pull up jumper in the mid range and stuff like that but he has surpassed my expectations in every single area. Maybe other than playmaking in terms of assists per game, I did think that it would probably be around this range, around three. But I think some of that is also just due to the type of scenarios and types of plays that they do run in Cleveland for him. I think as the season goes along, you'll see more of him passing out of the short roll and stuff like that, playmaking from the elbows even more than he already does. Um, so that, that number's probably gonna go up. But he already looks so smooth and consistent on his jump shots in the mid range. Um, he's shooting threes and has been just kind of slowly getting better and better um, in terms of his three-point shot throughout the season. And here, here's a stat that I'm just going to throw at you, and this it should probably speak for itself. And I haven't done any research on this, so I'm not going to say anything definitively, but I'd be very, very, very surprised if there was any other rookie in the history of the NBA that after their first you know, 15 games that they were leading the entire league in shots contested. Evan Mobley contests more shots than anyone in the NBA, and he's a rookie. 
just for context, the type of players that lead that category every single season, the past few seasons, has been Giannis and Draymond Green. Like those are the types of guys that lead the NBA in that category. The very, very high IQ defenders that are primarily the help defenders. Like they don't like they don't necessarily guard the best player one on one. They typically guard a non shooter and roam off the ball to like, you know, fly around and contest shots. That's the type of player that kind of role is always going to be the one leading the league in shots contested, obviously, because they're roaming around and, and helping the most kind of like a Rodman, just for a historical comparison. But I don't know what else we needed to see from Mobley to know, like, I think he should have been the number one pick. I know we're going to talk about Detroit here in a second, and Cade Cunningham has looked really good the past couple of games, honestly. People really overreacted to how he started. I'll get into that, though. Not saying Cade Cunningham shouldn't have been the number one pick, I guess. In my personal opinion, I would take him Mobley, and especially I would have taken Mobley number two. The fact that Rockets didn't take him at two, just, you know, the whole the whole time leading up before the draft, like I was I was very confused on the narrative of hearing some people talking about how the Rockets should take Green over Mobley. I was like, yeah, Green looks fun and he's an electric athlete. You know, we saw a lot of quotes about how he, you know, he's a hard worker, stuff like that. But just part of me has always been like with with Green, there's so many guys that come into the league that they're just like, you know, they're spark plug scores. They have it put together of like, oh, this guy's a really good scorer, but they don't develop in the same kind of way that you want them to and they're not near as efficient as you want them to be like that kind of stuff happens all the time at the at the top of the draft think Dion waiters ben mclemore tyreek evans oj mayo you know jeff green rudy gay you know jr smith you know there's lots more that i could probably get into but like that's just what he reminds me of not saying that he's a bad player or that he will never be an all-star or anything like that not saying that at all but his downside i think is much more like obvious there's an obvious like way that he can look this good and look like this well put together type of a score and player, but his floor could be something like a Jordan Clarkson or, you know, even worse than that, like a Ben McLemore, like I said before, like that's definitely within the realm of possibility. I like that. That's just kind of been my viewpoint of Jalen Green. You know, the guys that come into the draft that are compared to guys like Kobe and Dwayne Wade and stuff like that. Most of those guys don't end up being that kind of a player. And they're more typically what I've been talking about, the heat check guys that can score, but they're not going to be like a superstar. Mobley put up numbers at USC that not even Anthony Davis put up or like there was also numbers like Tim Duncan. If you break it down by like all these different steal and block uh, rate categories and like foul rate categories, all, the, all those kinds of things to form these metrics and trying to measure like defenders essentially in all of those stats amongst college freshmen. It's always been Anthony Davis and then Joel Embiid, respectively, a way ahead of the pack in all of those categories. Like those are the two anomalies since these these things started being tracked. So basically in the past 15 years, these are the two anomalies um, in college basketball who are just on another planet in terms of protecting the rim, you know, defending across positions, getting steals, not fouling, um, just very high IQ combined with very high physical ability um, on the defensive end. Those guys have been the aliens of that. But then Mobley comes in, and in his freshman year at USC, he surpassed even Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid in most of those categories. At the very least, you can say that now it's a clear definitive top three that are ahead of the rest of the pack in terms of every player ever that's played in college. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, according to all these advanced stats, I'm trying to measure defense, there haven't been any flukes really, other than there's kind of like Nerlens Noel is one of the guys that are a little bit higher in terms of all those guys below Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis, New Orleans Noel's name is in there a lot, which isn't really a fluke because he's still a really good defender and he's still in the league right now. And he's a really good defender, but he, you know, he is, he's a role player. 
um, because none of the rest of his skills really developed. But with him, there was never really any of those other skills there. It was just kind of like, this guy's really athletic. He is a good rim runner. He didn't really develop his game beyond that at all, but he's still what those skills were, you know? And I think the thing that really kills him is more at the foul rate. He has a higher foul rate than these other three guys that I'm talking about that kind of honestly kind of separates him uh, from them because I guess like the risk reward ratio thing isn't isn't as good with him because he just gets a lot more fouls. But Mobley was a clear anomaly coming out of college. And, um, and I just thought that the Rockets w- were going to be dumb for not taking him. And the thing I heard a lot from a lot of people that I even like and listen to and respect their opinions on basketball, I heard them saying stuff like uh, the Rockets, they shouldn't take Mobley at two because then they'll have a front court of Wood and Mobley. And that's going to be a bad fit together because they're both so skinny. And for me hearing that, I'm just like, okay, there's really only two teams in the league that's going to kill you because of that weakness. And that is the Nuggets and the Sixers. Why are the Rockets making their draft pick based off of how that team was going to match up with the Nuggets and the Sixers? To be fully honest, and like this is what I thought at the time when I was hearing these things, I like the idea of having having two, you know, seven footers or right below seven foot, like six ten, six eleven guys that can protect the rim. They're really good rim protectors, and they can both defend across positions, and they can both stretch the floor. Like, sign me up for that. I'm fine with that, especially if I'm a bottom of the league Rockets team trying to rebuild. Like, I like that. I like that idea. Also, beyond that, if the Rockets are making their, you know, number two pick in the draft decision based off of Christian Wood, then I think they need to kind of rearrange their priorities. I don't think Christian Wood is necessarily a keeper for this Rockets team that's rebuilding. Like he's 26, 27, and he's like a he's a good player, like a sub all-star type of player. And he's already, you know, in his prime at his peak. He's not, a, it's not like he's an untouchable keeper type of guy that you're, he's not a cornerstone of a franchise of, by any means. I don't know why that is some, that's the reason you're not going to take Evan Mobley is because you have Christian Wood. It's just dumb. Honestly, I think that would have been the best fit for him too. Would have been with Houston. This Houston team would probably look a lot different too with, with, with Mobley out there. But anyways, with Cleveland, their defense is awesome this year because of Mobley and Allen. Allen's just like primary rim protection and then Mobley being the roaming help defender that he is and guarding the point of attack and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they've just been a really good defensive team with that Sexton and Garland backcourt. And, you know, they got a couple guys to bring off the bench that are good defenders, namely, obviously, with Isaac Okoro, a really physically gifted wing defender. Ricky Rubio has always been a solid defender. J.D. Osmond can hold his own. Like having Markin on this team, I know he's only played about half the games this season because he's been out now. But for a while, at the very beginning of this year, how they rolled out their starting lineup, you know, they had the Garland and Sexton backcourt with Markinen at the three, Mobley at the four, and Allen at the five. So they're rolling out like two six foot nothing guys with three seven footers in Mobley, Markinen, and Allen. And they kind of just turned Markinen into a stretch, stretch three, I guess now. But anyways, having Allen as the rim protector and Mobley as like the I don't know, Giannis, Draymond thing that he is now. Just it makes your defense so flexible and it allows you to have lineups with like a Lori Markinen out there at the three, which is something that just doesn't make sense and is like that wouldn't work defensively. It's okay now because you have you have those other guys out there. It's just going to hold everything together defensively. So yeah, they're really fun. Mobley, I know that he just got injured and he's going to be out for a few weeks. So it really depends on how many games he misses and stuff like that about the uh, rookie of the year race. Another guy that's obviously up there at the top is definitely Scotty Barnes. I'm not going to make any sort of definitive statement of whether or not he's going to win the rookie of the year, but I'm going to make the statement, though, that I think that Evan Mobley is the best rookie in this class. I think he has been so far. And if I had the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft, I would have taken Evan Mobley. But yeah, anyways, Cleveland just has some guys. 
that they've been rolling out there off the bench too with Kevin Love. I think he's been injured now, but he had been playing a decent role off the bench, which is nice to see, you know, after last season where Kevin Love really seemed like he was mailing it in, not really wanting to be a part of this team. It seems like this Cavs team is just fun now and the guys want to be there. Dylan Windler coming off the bench also as a shooter. They have Ed Davis as a backup. Taco Fall is on this team too. So yeah, Cavs are definitely going over. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they won 40 games. That'd be nuts if they win 40 games. They could. They're 9-9 nine and nine right now, and they were better before Mobley got injured. So yeah, since Mobley went out, they lost three straight. So they were 9-6. and six. You know, I'm pretty sure Mobley didn't play the entire game that he got injured in also. Um, so you could probably even... Before the game that Mobley got injured, they were 9-5. and five. I'll just say it like that. Now they're 9-9. Nine and nine. Yeah, there was a part in there where Jacob made like a disgusted face at uh, me saying Cleveland that I locked the over on them or something like that. Or it might have been when I said uh, said I was putting him in the same tier as the Knicks. Yeah, one of those. Uh, he made a very disgusted face. <laughs> I might get a Cavs jersey, honestly. A Mobley jersey would be that would be cool. I might do that to be honest, fully buy in because they have been by far the second most watched team for me. Um, I haven't watched them a lot since Mobley went down, but obviously I've seen every Nuggets game this year. And I've seen almost all of the Cavs games. So, yeah, enough of the Cavs. Uh, let's move on now to Detroit, who are 4-13, and 13, which, uh, let me see what that pace is. So that's a 23.5 win percentage. Multiply that by 82 games. 19. So they're on a 19-win pace, um, which, I yeah, I should probably have mentioned again uh, that Chicago's line was 41.5 and, and Cleveland's line was 27.5. So... Definitely going to win 28 games for Cleveland. I'm not worried about that at all. And then Detroit, their line was at 24 and a half. So they got to win 25 games to get the over. I feel good about the under here. Um, the other guys locked their unders. But yeah, I feel good about it. Um, not going to change it. But yeah, like I said before, I think a lot of people really overreacted to Cade Cunningham's start this season. You know, he's been just really inefficient, stuff like that. Hasn't been making his shots, which I is honestly, it's not that big of a deal, to be honest. Like the percentages will even out. I think he's going to at some point and like rookies always struggle with stuff like this like so i think from what Cade has shown so far we shouldn't be like writing him off as you know he's a bust or anything like some people have um those people are crazy i probably shouldn't even respond to those people but some people have been you know saying that this is evidence that he shouldn't have gone number one at least some people are definitely saying that i don't know i don't really agree even though like i just got done saying i would have taken mobley first but that was my viewpoint before the draft I definitely see and saw the argument for Cade at number one. I understood the case for him. Definitely understood that. And I thought it was definitely a very close thing with him and Mobley with me. I thought, but I thought those were the top two for me. Those were definitely the top two. I still feel that those guys are the top two prospects in this draft. I still see his case for number one because just watching the Pistons play since he's got on the court is like, it's, it's like night and day. They look like a good, like, or I shouldn't say good. They look like a competent team when he's on the floor. And it's just so fun to watch him. I love this draft. I, lo I just love this draft because it's like the best players in it aren't like, like Jalen, see like Jalen Green is the one guy that's up there at the top that is like very similar to how we usually view like the the stars in basketball or like the like the usual best rookies and stuff like that. Like they're the guys that will have a bunch of highlight plays, um, have a bunch of cool dunks and uh, score a lot of points, like stuff like that. But I just love like Mobley, Cunningham and Scotty Barnes and even Jalen Suggs too. I, even though he started off really, really poorly, all, all four of those guys' games are like unselfish, like pure basketball player type of games, if that makes sense. Like the things they're good at is just like, moving the ball like very team team oriented basketball 
Cade Cunningham is going to just always provide lots of spacing, whether he's hitting his shots or not. He has shown that he's providing lots of spacing for the Pistons out there. He's a great passer, great rebounder, great defender. Honestly, the way I would describe Cade as a prospect and like the reason why he was obviously one of the best prospects in this draft was because every single skill that you can really think of with basketball, Cade Cunningham's good at. It's just like he's good at everything. He's, he's like he's a good shooter on every level, mid-range, three-point, makes his free throws. He's a really good playmaker. He's a really good rebounder. You know, he can control the game with the ball in his hands, but he also doesn't need the ball in his hands. He's very good off the ball. He's a really good defender. He has a really good size to defend across positions, and he does defend across positions, switches very well. He's got a good IQ, a nice poise about him. He just seems very mature, just like I was saying about Evan Mobley. It's hard to find like a weakness with Cade Cunningham, you know? I mean, he's theoretically really, like, really good at all these things, but then just like it's not necessarily breaking right quite so far. And I think those percentages will come back, you know, kind of even out. Not saying he's going to necessarily have like a really efficient season this year, but like they'll look much closer to normal shooting splits because right now he's at 34% from the field and 24% from three. But he's shooting 91% from the line. So I think the field goal percentage and three-point percentage are definitely going to go up. He'll start knocking his shots down. The rest of his team, I'm still a believer in Killian Hayes. He's very similar to Cade Cunningham to me. Like he just has a lot of these skills that I feel like he's going to be a really good basketball player, really good NBA player. Um, he just really has not been efficient so far in his career. Also healthy. He's struggled with a lot of injuries. Jeremy Grant has started off the season slower than last year, but he had a really good game the other night against Lakers. I'm not even going to get into the Stewart versus LeBron thing from the other night. But yeah, Detroit, I don't know. They might not win 20 games this year. I don't think they're going to win 25. But yeah, anyways, there was this one play that I saw uh, the other game against the Lakers where, you know, something happened in the paint near the rim, you know, that drew a lot of the defense in. Ball was kicked out uh, to the corner and the ball got swung. Like it was around the whole perimeter. So it was like from that corner out to like the extended elbow and then over to Cade on the other extended elbow, which I feel like most players in his position there, that would have been the end of it. And he was going to take that shot because there was a little bit of daylight for him to get that off before the closeout got to him. But he very, very quickly, as soon as he got the ball, swung it again over to the other corner to Jeremy Grant, I believe was who was there. Maybe it was either him or uh, Sadiq Bey. But yeah, the, the ball swung all the way around the perimeter with four passes and it ended in an open three-point shot from the corner that went down. So it was just a cool sequence to watch. Just those kinds of sequences that I, they really stand out to me with, especially with rookies, where it just shows like a really, really just like team-oriented type of play. I always think that's a good sign. But yeah, that probably should be enough on Detroit though. The next team is Indiana, which their money line was 42 and a half wins. I went over, Jacob went over and locked it, and Anthony went over also. Yeah, this one's not looking too great. I mean, they're eight and 11, um, but they've been getting better recently. Uh, the record has been going up recently. They started off really bad. And I still really think that Rick Carlisle is the coach for them and they're and he's a really good coach and everything like that. I just think that Rick Carlisle is one of those coaches where it takes it takes some time for a team to adjust to him. But yeah, I mean, they've still struggled with injuries and stuff like that. Lavert has been in and out. Brogdon has missed some time. But I think once they find like their true, you know, rotation and everything, uh, this team will be better. But it's going to be hard to get to hit that 43 wins um, for sure. It's going to be a challenge, but they definitely still could. I don't know if I would necessarily change my pick, but um, definitely pretty worried about it. I would say Chris Duarte uh, on the topic of rookies has come out and looked really good. You know, he's not even really in the same category as these other rookies, though, because he's 
he's already 24 years old, but um, everybody knew that he was going to be an immediate impact kind of guy, but not really a piece for the future type of thing um, in terms of, you know, projected ceiling. But yeah, he's been pretty good overall. I just think, yeah, I, th I think this team will get better. Not much else I honestly have to say about them. Sabonis has been shooting threes. He hasn't been making him really so far. I, it, like he started off a little bit better than this number, I think, from what I saw at the very beginning of the season. I remember him making more than 29%, which is what he's at now. But um, yeah, I think Sabonis will put together a pretty nice season when it's all said and done. And um, they've strung together a couple really big wins in a row. They beat the Bulls 109-77, and they beat New Orleans 111-94. Uh, That's basically it with the Pacers, honestly. Not too exciting, I guess. Up next, we got Milwaukee, who's another team. They're off to a much worse start than I was expecting. Um, but this one is more explainable, I guess, than with the Pacers. It's really just whether they have their guys or not. You know, Giannis missed a game. Middleton's missed quite a few. Holiday's missed a lot, too. Brooke Lopez has only played in one game this year. But yeah, Bobby Portis has missed a handful. They've just had a lot of guys in and out. So it's been tough. It's already like their main weakness is they're not very deep. They're a really top-heavy team in terms of talent, so not having their guys for extended stretches is obviously not a good thing. So they piled up quite a few losses here at the beginning of the season. It's going to be hard to dig themselves out of this hole to hit the over. They'd have to win 55 games to hit the over, and they're 10-8 and eight right now. They can't lose any more than 27 games uh, to hit their over, and they've already lost 8 out of 18. So this is a tough one. It's definitely just a kind of, it's a little unfair because of how many guys have been sitting out at the beginning of the year due to injury. They've just, it's just not been the Bucks so far. It's been, it's been kind of a mess in terms of their lineups. But yeah, that's really it with the Bucks though. Giannis has had an okay start to the season. Not anything special by his standards. I think they're definitely going to be a top four seed in the East when it's all said and done. But yeah, 55 games will be a tough task. Definitely still possible though if they go on some kind of crazy tear. But yeah, anyways, I think I'm gonna close this episode out now. Hopefully you enjoyed. I'll try to get the next one to you soon, which will be the uh, Southeast. So that'll be Atlanta, Charlotte, Miami, Orlando, and Washington. So that should be a really good episode too. One thing I thought of while I was recording that I didn't mention in the intro when I was talking about PJ Dozier and his injury with the Nuggets uh, with his ACL tear, which also while I've been recording, Woj has tweeted out that it's confirmed it was an ACL tear uh, and he'll be out the rest of the season. Something that makes this even more unfortunate, and what I forgot to mention before, was that this is a contract year for Dozier. This is the last year on his current deal, so he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. So that's just really tough, and prayers up for him. I really hope the Nuggets uh, try to bring him back for another contract, because he's been a really, really valuable piece in our rotation. But yeah, thank you for watching or listening, either one, to the Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Allen Iverson, all three of those. It's kind of hard to choose one out of those three. But for formality's sake, I'll, I'll choose D-Wade. Thank you for listening to the Dwayne Wade episode. And I'll talk to you guys next time.